today we're finishing up Proverbs chapter 6, or at least we're attempting to finish up Proverbs chapter 6 because we attempted to yesterday and failed miserably at finishing Proverbs chapter 6. However, the Lord led us, we won, because the Lord led us into talking about our need for discipline and to ditch options, and it was really good. It was anointed, and uh, we need to move to that place of the fire of God and uh, the fire in our lives where nothing stands in the way of us going forward. But one of the things I was saying yesterday, what really started that conversation is, I noticed in Proverbs that there's a lot of correction. And I was just thinking before we got, I was meditating and praying and thinking about some things before we started yesterday. And you can see somebody come up with a channel like on YouTube or whatever, and they do something just stupid, something crazy. And they'll have umpteen million followers. And yet you talk about actually improving people's lives and you have little followers. The reason for that is because when it comes to correction, the reason why God disciplines those that he loves and he corrects those that he loves is because that correction will lead to a higher life. But our flesh doesn't want that now. Our flesh wants what it wants now and not necessarily correction. And so because of that, if we as believers don't become okay with God's correction, we severely limit our lives. And as I'm reading through Proverbs, I see a lot of correction. I mean, I love this book, but even I, as I'm reading through, I'm thinking, man, this is a lot of things to correct and, and to make sure that you're walking out right. And I can feel my flesh not wanting to like that, even though I, as the spirit man, loves that book. We need to get really good at telling our flesh, no flesh, you're going to be corrected because we're going to walk in the blessing of God and we're going to walk with the love of God and it's going to be great. And so one of the things we want to do individually and as a group is say, this is what I'm after. I'm after improving my life and improving the lives around, around all at the same time I'm loving on God by moving forward. When we take that attitude towards uh, the Word of God, towards the wisdom of God, our life springs upward. And that's what we want. And God wants that for us as well. And the truth be told, the majority of people wants our lives to be upward. It's just how they get there. Most of the world in its corruption wants life to get better, really, just kind of magically. But that's not how it works. The, the word is very clear. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So the world basically wants to sow the wrong things but reap the good things. They want good things, but they're not willing to pay the price of sowing that in that way. Now, one of the things that we as believers want to do is we want to jump into the wisdom of God and say, Lord, I'm going to do what it takes to go forward. Please put that in the comments right now. Lord, I'm going to do what it takes to go forward. I'm going to do what it takes to go forward. So looking at the last portion of Proverbs chapter 6, we talked about how to come out of the pit of debt, and we talked about uh, what are the ways, what's the ways to come out of that ditch. We talked about the work-life balance in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 6. 
starting in verse 12, we're going to step into a couple of things. And, and the title of today is, Does God Hate? Does He Hate? And the answer is yes. There are some things that He hates. And why does He hate them? He hates them because the people that He created, mankind that He created, is harmed and hurt by these things. So these are the things we don't want to do, we don't want to find ourselves in. But then, as we go on into the rest of the chapter, we're going to look at God's way of life. This is a way of fullness of life. There's going to be some steps here to look at, and so be ready to see those. Let's go to uh, verse 12. So in verse 12, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a perverse mouth. In other words, he's speaking ungodliness. You know, a lot of times we read this and we think a a wicked man is somebody who cusses. Now, used to, that actually was something that was protected. I can remember as a kid, if you said a cuss word, I mean, if if you said what we would consider a small cuss word on TV, they would be censored and that show would be uh, fined and banned even if necessary, but you could not say stuff like that on prime TV. And then we had a president of the country come out in one of his speeches, and in his speech he cussed. And I remember when he did it, and he was speaking to an enemy of the country, and he cussed. And when he did, it opened up, and this is something that's very important to recognize. This this person in authority, when they yielded to that, it opened it up to the whole body of the country. If you are in a position of power, in a position of leadership, we should take the responsibility to lock down ungodliness even more than, than, I mean, we should do it anyway, but we should specifically and especially make sure that we lock down ungodliness because when we unlock ungodliness, It breaks the authority over the people that we're leading, and it breaks that open, and you don't want to do that. Now, today, I can't hardly watch a television show on TV. I can't can't let my nine-year-old watch primetime TV because they're cussing left and right. And uh, sometimes they beep it out, and sometimes they don't. But they are cussing all over the place. It's all over social media. It's all over, it's all over the advertisement. I mean, it has just gone bad. Used to, in this country, we had actually a respect for this. And we would say, hey, a wicked man, a worthless person is a wicked man. And the one who walks with a per- perverse mouth, we would connect those things with wickedness. And But today, it's really been allowed, and it's become the norm. But just because it's the norm in our society doesn't mean that it's still okay. According to God's Word, it's still not okay. But a perverse mouth is not just cussing. It is speaking ungodliness. Uh, in the New Testament, it actually says that we will be judged for every idle word, and that word means every word that doesn't produce godliness. So if I say, you know, that, uh, if I say something uh, like this, well, you know, it's just normal for me to worry. 
Well, that is an unbiblical, ungodly speech that's actually perverse speaking, and it equates me to walking in some wickedness. I don't want to be there. I want to clean that stuff up. And uh, so I also want you to see the first part of this verse. It says, a worthless person, a wicked man. So when we are not producing, we are not producing a worth and a value, it equates us also to wickedness. And this goes hand in hand with that verse of idle words in the New Testament. If your words are not, if they're not worth anything, if they're not producing the kingdom of God, this is wickedness. So what we want to do is we want to recognize this, see this, and understand that as we change our speech, actually our wickedness goes away. As we change our speech to become more godly and more productive, we step away from wickedness and into godliness. We should be actively looking to correct our speech. In, the, um, in our, um, our confessions that we have each day, Part of the reason we have those confessions is those are confessions based off of the promises of God, and when we speak that, it gets in us. And then when we go out, so let's say that I'm the healed of the Lord, and uh, I carry an anointing for supernatural help to pray. Well, if I go out and I'm praying, and the Lord says, pray for this person, and I have the thought, I'm not anointed to pray for that person. As I've been confessing that, I've been setting my mind over what the Bible says. No, I am anointed to do this. So our proper godly confessions helps to renew our mind and helps to bring us into that place of the manifestation of the promise of God. Verse 13, still talking about a worthless person, a a wicked man, one who walks with a perverse mouth, the same same type of person who winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, and points with his fingers. Now, what it's talking about is this is a man who cheats. This is a person who's winking, who's signaling, who's trying to do things behind the scenes. A lot of times, you know, I've found this, and I've I've tried to construct my life personally in this way. If I can't say it publicly, then I don't need to say it privately, you know? Now, well, I'm not talking about, you know, counseling somebody and, and I'm not going to take somebody and just like making a, a public example of them if they mess up. That needs to be handled in private. I'm talking about if I have a doctrine, if I can't say that doctrine on this broadcast, then I either don't believe in the doctrine or it's a doctrine that probably doesn't need to be spoken. You see here that this character of person is one that, that they're, they're doing things behind the scenes. They're winking, they're, they're pointing, they're trying to direct people, but they don't want everybody else to know it. They don't want people to know what they believe and what they're doing, what they're saying, or they're just cheating. They're in a game, they're in business, they're making deals behind the scene, but they're not being open. This is wickedness. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is not how to do business. This is not how believers are supposed to run their life. This is not God does things in the open. You know, Christ didn't die in a back room somewhere. He hung for all the world to see, and then he talked about that. 
these beliefs. He preached what it was. He said, I'm preaching this every day. You know, you see examples where the ministers are preaching. Jesus was preaching. The apostles were preaching. They were preaching it in the open, in the temple. They were preaching everywhere. They weren't just teaching some secret teachings uh, in, in a back room only. No, it was public. And so one of the things that we want to be is the kind of people that our life can be examined. I can easily say this, and I say this to people often, is like, you are welcome to ask the hard questions. You are welcome to ask the hard questions here. Um, if you, even if you think I'm going to disagree, even if you think I'm going to disagree with you. Uh, even this morning, I had somebody that was asking me a question that was basically disagreeing with, with how I had done some things. I welcome that. One, if, if they're right, then I get to make a change and get better. If they're wrong, then I get to examine it again and make sure I believe what I believe. You know, it gives me a resolve on that. Either way, I get better by that. I've watched that many people, they're afraid. They're afraid to ask those questions because people will take offense. We shouldn't be people that take offense because somebody asks us a question that we don't know the answer to or that we're not solid on. You'll find that people get defensive when they don't know those answers or they're ashamed that they don't know. Like, if I don't know something, I don't know it. And I'll say, I don't know that. I'll have to study. I had a question a week or so ago. I was like, I don't know. I've not studied that out. And uh, so we have to be the kind of people that are not hiding those deficiencies or hiding that lack or hiding what we believe. We want to be people that are open and honest in that way. You know, again, there can be conversations that we have that's private to that person, and it doesn't, you know, show that person, uh, show that person's weakness. It doesn't make an example of how low they are or what they don't know. That is, that's a great conversation to have privately. That's what, you know, a lot of counseling does and things like that. But when it comes to what you believe, those are things that you ought to be able to say and show open, openly. 14, who, the same type of person, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil. Continually devises evil. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. Most people do not think that they are doing evil. The question, and this is, this is important to look at, the question is not necessarily whether you think you're, you're devising evil. The question is, what do other people think, and what is the fruit? So think about it this way. It is a better way to look at it because most people don't classify their actions as evil. This is why fruit becomes very important. Because now watch this. What if I'm given everything okay, in my life? Th think about this. I'll give, you a, I'll give you an example. What if somebody was born into a family, they never really had to go to work, and they were, they were given $100 million in a trust fund, they never had to work a job, and they lived their whole life with that $100 million and died and never utilize that $100 million for the whole lifetime. Is that evil? Think on it. What does the Bible say? To whom much is given, much is required. This is a principle. So 
What we know from the word is, I need to produce with what I've been given. I need what you've been given, give freely in that way. I need to be a giver. I need to be a producer. When I've been given the blessings of God, I should do that. Evil is not just, evil is not just doing and producing bad things, but evil also can be qualified as not doing what you should have done, right? Not doing what you should have done. So um, one of the things that, there was the statement, you can look it up, um, it said all, you know, all that has to happen for evil to uh, pervade is for good people to do nothing. Uh, that might not be an exact uh, statement, but I know the principle of it. Evil just needs for good people to do nothing. So when it says here that who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, you're talking about somebody who is perverse in their heart and who continuously de- uh, devises evil. But here's, here's what I want to get at. Many people don't think that they're doing evil when they actually are doing evil. I would say, you know, most of us have disagreed with a politician at some point. If you went to that politician and you had could delve into their thinking and the core of their thinking, they would believe that what you consider to be evil, they would not consider to be evil. They would consider it to be good. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Buddy found the quote. The only thing, who was it who said it? You find that? The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Okay. Yeah, there's there's question on it apparently, but I've heard it multiple times throughout throughout my life. My, my point is that you can have people that think that they're doing good, but they're actually doing evil. And they might not be completely perverse in their heart, or maybe they were perverse at one time, which formed that thinking. So in, in other words, in order for us to escape this, we have to be willing to examine the fruit in other people's eyes and the fruit in our life. So we don't just need to go by our intentions. The Lord said the fruit will either make the the tree good or bad. In other words, you can tell them by their fruit. And I'm not talking about, well, one-time mess up or every now and then they mess up. I've never met anybody that's not messed up every now and then. What I'm saying, or missed it in some way, I'm talking about the ongoing continuous fruit is either evil or good. But many times people are doing evil thinking that it's good. And so the only way for them to come out of that trap is to say, let me look at the fruit of what I'm producing and let me be unbiased with it and humble myself and get to that point. Now, most of the people that would be doing that are probably not going to be listening to me. Uh, So I'm talking generally to a different demographic of people, but I'm talking generally to the church and to people that are in the church and Many of them have ways that they've grown up in, in tradition and in custom, and those traditions and customs have taught them to do something one way, but the fruit is not actually telling of godliness and producing for the kingdom. And we have to be willing to challenge that. What I'm saying is this, that whether or not you think you're doing evil or good, Always leave yourself in humility open 
to the discipline and correction of the Lord to change what you thought was right. Always leave that. We don't want to be the person who's wicked and continuously devises evil, and we especially don't want to be that person and think that we're doing good. The only way to combat that is for us to be in humility and giving ourselves to the Lord and giving ourselves to the change. He says this, who continuously devises evil, who spreads strife, who spreads strife. We look up the verse that talks about strife. Um, seems like it's an every evil thing. Um, seems like that. I want you. To, I want to find that. There's a verse there, and I want you to put it in. Put it in when you find it. Strife is one of the worst things that you can ever have in your life, in your home, in your family. Strife is one of the worst things that you can ever have. Um, one of, and people have gotten to the place where they are normal with strife. Strife is an ongoing thing. Uh, I'm telling you that not only do you not want to spread strife, but you don't want to be around strife. Many times when you see major accidents, major problems, things like that, it's surrounding strife. In other words, somebody will get in strife, they'll promote strife, spread strife, they'll, they'll do something like that, and all of a sudden you'll have a, a big accident, a big tragedy, stuff like that. It is a major deal, James 3.16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Well, if you don't want every evil work around you, you've got to deal with strife. And you especially don't want to be this person in verse 14 who spreads strife. You don't want to be the person who spreads strife. You want to be the person who diffuses strife. You want to be the person that when you walk in, it's hard for strife to get a foothold. It's hard for it to stay around you. Peace comes with you. Remember what they said uh, to the disciples? They said, go to the home and speak peace to it. And if your peace returns, then leave that house and go to the next one. But if that peace stays, right? You're looking, a lot of times in strife, you don't want peace. You're holding off peace. Like, no, I don't want that. I want I want something that's, I want the principle of the matter is that they need to apologize to me. They need to pay me back. What is that? That's strife. And it's like, I don't want peace. I want them to apologize, you know, that kind of thing. And when you see that, that is the working of strife and the working of confusion and every evil work. You don't want to be around that. And you definitely don't want to spread that. Uh, have you ever been in those places? Have you ever been in those places where the person is like everybody around one person is always walking on eggshells? That's a person who's spreading strife. And, and it's a horrible thing. It's one of the worst things ever. You don't want to be that person uh, that, that's always spreading strife. It says, verse 15, Therefore, this person, the worthless person, wicked man, perverse mouth, uh, hides things, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, perversity in his heart, devises evil, spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. This type of person. Now, he's the, I want you to see most of what I've talked about is from a perspective of a believer that's trying to get ahead 
that should watch these little pitfalls of falling into one of these. And uh, But most of the people that I know, they're not a heart that is perverse and evil that's constantly devising evil. I don't run into that very often, but I want you to see that if you let the devil get a fingernail hold, very quickly he can grab a foothold and then more in your life. It's the small foxes that ruin the vine. So we just want to stay away from any of these ungodly areas anyway. But the man who is truly wicked and evil in his heart, here's what happens. His calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken and there will be no healing. I'm reminded of a leader of a country uh, recently. I believe it was in Venezuela. And the man was just ungodly. And, the, and he, was, he just ruined the country. It's finance. He did it in a short period of time. He didn't care. He called out God and everything. And he ruled for like five or ten years maybe, if my memory is correct. And then all of a sudden, he came down with cancer, and within months, he was gone. His calamity came suddenly, and there was no healing for him. Verse 16, there are six things. So now, why is the Lord talking to us about this stuff? He's talking to us because if you're not aware of these things, you won't notice it. You won't know the importance of it. You won't, you'll think, well, you know, when I don't forgive that person, that's just because they should treat me this way, and they're not treating me this way. no. You can actually move over into strife, and you don't want to do that. Uh, when I just say, well, that just kills me, you can think, well, there's no problem with that. No, there is a problem with it because you're heading towards a perverse mouth, and you're actually utilizing idle words. You're speaking death when God always wants us to speak life. And so we think that these things are small, but they're really not small in that way because it sets us on a path. And if we don't have the humility and the diligence and discipline to correct that path, the end of that path is a bad one. And God wants us to know that, but he also wants us to be able to discern, okay, this person's walking in God. This person's of a perverse heart. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of his lips. Look at, look at the strife that surrounds him. I don't need to be a part of this. I don't need to be in covenant with this person. Here he says this, 16, there are six things which the Lord hates. Does the Lord hate, hate things? Yes, he does. And here they are, the six things. They're going to uh, put it up, up here. Thank you. He says, there are six things which the Lord hates. And the word hates means this. Hates means there are six things that are enemies of God. They're enemies. There's six things that is an enemy of God, seven things which are an abomination. An abomination means it's disgusting, okay? So obviously we have, we have six things that are absolute enemies and another thing that's simply, uh, and sev all seven of them, including the enemies, and a seventh thing that is just disgusting to the holiness of God. To holiness, who here wants to walk in holiness. If you do, put a hands up in the comments. Who here wants to walk in holiness? If you're going to walk in holiness, then these are things you cannot walk in. But we know that if you walk in, in if you walk in holiness, you're going to walk separated, set apart. You're going to you're going to walk in a place 
where the holy things of God happens. These are areas we don't want to be anywhere close to. And here they are, the seven things. To Verse 17, haughty eyes. This, this is arrogant eyes. This is every stereotypical look that you can think of, like, oh, who do they think they are? You know, that's haughty eyes. Anything like that, arrogant eyes that look on with arrogance. Haughty eyes. Second thing, a lying tongue. God hates lying. He hates it. He hates it. He hates it. I've found that the most holy people that I've been around, they despise lying. They despise it. Why? Because they're holy. They, they're going to see the same things as an abomination and hate those things. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. He hates it. Now, what's the big topic today? You know, you figure this out on your own. What's the large topic in our country today that, that just got overturned in, in the Supreme Court? Roe versus Wade. You tell me, is there innocent blood being shed? He hates that. It's an abomination. It's a disgusting thing to him. So you have people that are saying, saying it's biblical to be able to have an abortion. They are so misled. They are so deceived. They've, they've thought that they've gotten it right. They've gotten in worldly philosophy. They've listened to worldly philosophy, some of it coming from the pulpit. But this is an obvious absolute. He hates hands that shed innocent blood. And we're not just talking about abortion here. We're talking about in every area of life where there is bloodshed of the innocent. God hates that. He hates that. Uh, here, a heart that devises wicked plans, a heart that's thinking, how can I get money out of people? How can I cheat people? How can I steal? How can I take from others? You know, uh, premeditated murder, premeditated uh, things, robbery, things like that. These are wicked plans that is devised in a heart before it happened. This is a thing that God hates. Can you see that we should have a law against the premeditated uh, uh, you know, wrongdoings, the premeditated breaking of the law. Feet that run rapidly to evil. In other words, when they're given a choice, they choose evil quickly. They choose evil quickly. Now, see, a lot of times people that might be listening here today, um, they're not thinking, they're not, they're not really thinking that they're that person that their feet run to evil uh, quickly. They don't, they don't think that they are. Yet, they may say, they may run to, and I, I just want you to see this, they may run first to the medicine cabinet instead of running first to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans shows us that a lack of faith is sin, and if sin is evil, sin is ungodly. And so we'll think, when we see this list, we think just the big ticket sins. But we need to examine our own heart that, it's not just the big ticket sins. If I can in any way, if in any way put this list here, hard for if I can in any way apply this list to the small things that I'm doing, then I need to then I need to change that. Yeah, that's a great one. Thank you, buddy. Quick to anger, 
quick to defend oneself, quick to not apply faith. That's feet that run quickly to evil things, right? And this is something that we really need to examine ourselves and and check ourselves because these are not things that God's like, yeah, I really wish you wouldn't do that. No, these are things that the Lord hates, things that are an abomination to him. Uh, 19, a false witness who utters lies. Somebody that utters lies against someone else and tells, tells the wrongdoing. And let, let me just tell you this, because I think this is very important. And this is, I'm, I try to give examples because we have the idea of this, of somebody going on the witness stand and just lying in court. Let's, let's, let's boil it down to where most of the people that would be watching this are. How about this? It's a known fact that you can change how you think about something by remembering it differently each time. So, for example, science has has basically said that when I have a memory, I don't actually remember the first time it happened. Uh, Each time I remember that memory, I actually remember the last time that I remembered it. So, Let's say that I had something occur. Let's say that I had an interaction occur between me and a person, and the interaction occurred, and then I remembered it. But when I remembered it the second time in my, th- in my thinking, I kind of added that I didn't like what that person did. And the next time I remembered it, I remembered that they did something wrong. And it goes down, and I'm, I've remembered that moment 10 times now, but what I'm actually remembering is the last time I remembered it. And so now, I'm, this person is my enemy. They did it on purpose and everything. But that's not what actually happened. And so I'm actually giving a witness in my own memory to myself, if not to other people, that they were out of line and wrong and my enemy when they weren't. I just had an interaction. That person was innocent. But in my heart, maybe I thought they weren't innocent. Maybe I thought they did it on purpose and now I go down the, down the line, and I'm holding it against them. They're my enemy. They're evil. They did that on purpose. You don't know if they did that on purpose. Can you see their heart? Only God can see their heart. I'm convinced most people don't even know truly, fully what's in their heart. They're, they're, you know, that's why he says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the, the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need God to actually see what's in our heart. So many times a false witness that utters lies, you can actually have somebody that just believed that person was wrong and did it wrong, and they end up telling what they believe is their version of the story, but they don't realize that they had a bias at the beginning, that they were not humble and forgiving of the person, and now... They are actually, they're actually uttering a false witness against that person, thinking that they were right, but they just believed it wrong and added to the story. So this is one of the reasons why you never want to exaggerate. You never want to exaggerate. You want to make sure that your yes is yes, your no is no. Stay away from exaggeration. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Tell it the way that it happened, and don't assume things. See, in that, in that case, a person could assume they did it on purpose, but you don't, a bad thing on purpose, 
but that person doesn't really know that. So don't make that assumption unless you have proof of it. But see, in people's biased minds, a lot of times, we, we will think, no, I have proof of it because I saw what happened. And the issue is, it's not actually that they did it. We think that they did it, and now we've tagged them with it. We go down the road, and we're uttering a false witness against that. This is, this is something that is so important for us. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I have watched that play out multiple times over the years where that exact thing I just described happened, and I happen to have other witnesses that were there in the original thing. And, and we can do this even in ourselves, where we say, uh, well, Buddy mentioned something the other day. He said there have been multiple times where I've read Scripture, and I thought Scripture said one thing. And then I would, you know, pastor would teach on something. He said, I go back and read that Scripture. And he'd say, and he'd say it didn't say what I thought it said. So in other words, there was an assumption that the Scripture went in one direction, and then we kept going on, and now our belief system is based off of that assumption. And we are actually saying that Scripture is giving this witness when it actually is giving this witness, and we find ourselves very close to the same situation, same scenario. I've, I've seen a bunch of people do this. I've done this. I've seen myself do this. And so now I try to be very diligent to not make assumptions not be biased in a situation, but to very clearly say, this is what happened. This, is, you know, this isn't what happened. Uh, I can assume this, but I don't know it. And I'll say things like that so that I'm not giving any type of false witness. So we're not just talking here about somebody giving a wrong testimony in court, which obviously is wrong as well. But we're talking about, hey, I just, I'm believing things and thinking things. I'm giving a witness to myself that might not be correct. Challenge yourself. Challenge your thinking. Maybe they weren't just being malice. Most people I know are not in malice. They're not evil in that way. They're just deceived. They think something's right, and so they speak it that way. Most people are not in malice. They're not doing things for the wrong reasons just to irritate you or, or whatever. They just think that they're doing what they should be doing, and corruption of the world has taught them this is the way to do it. I, I watch, and that's why a lot of people can't forgive other people is because they believe they did it on purpose. And what I've found is when you dig into the situation, most of, most of the people didn't do something on purpose. They just were deceived. They missed them. Generally, it's miscommunication, either the person speaking or the person hearing or a combination of the two. Many times you'll see like on teams in a church and things like that, You'll see where people, they just have the biggest problem with other people. And the issue is because they believe that that other person is doing it on purpose and, they, and they're not giving any mercy for, to the person if they mess up. They're just holding them to a standard. And if they don't meet my standard, doggone it, they're wrong. And, and the problem is now they're judging the person and they're actually creating a witness with inside their self that is a false witness. God hates that. And that's why a lot of people can't forgive others. So uh, let's see. Is there a question here? Hannah said, is it better to just not speak on the subject if we aren't really sure what happened? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly good. And doesn't the Bible say, be slow to speak and quick to listen? You know, you'll find that mature people, you'll, you'll talk to them, and they'll just look at you and be quiet sometimes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's not a bad thing. People are uncomfortable with that because people feel like they need to answer so often, and uh, they don't. They need to be slow to speak. And uh, many times people just want to talk. They want to hear themselves talk, or they, they have a fear that that person will look down on them if they don't respond. So his, a false witness who utters lies, and the last one, one who spreads strife among brothers. We've already talked about strife. This is not just a bad idea. This is something that God hates. It's an abomination to him in that way. Verse 20, and now we're into uh, some really good things here. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Observe what? Observe the commandment. God has given us a commandment, and our job is to observe them. Let me make sure I follow them. You know, you have, how many people know that you should observe the commandments of God? Pretty much everybody that goes to church or feels some kind of morality towards the Lord would know that. But don't you think that most people feel like they're following the commandments of God? You know, you have a few people that say, no, I'm not doing that, and I know I'm not doing that, and I don't want to do that. You have a few people that'll say that. I've had people tell me that. But most people be like, no, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Why should you go to heaven? I'm a good person. I do godly things. I believe in God. But isn't believing in God following his commandments? Yeah. All right. Well, how many of those uh, people that follow his commandments are assembling each Sunday, right? That's a commandment of God. How many of those are forgiving a brother, 70 times 7? How many of those are, are checking every idle word and speaking and confessing only the word of God? How many things are taking their, how many people are taking their thoughts captive and, and they're meditating on things only worthy of praise? All of these are commandments. How many people just in the body of Christ in America are be being filled with the Holy Spirit? That's a commandment. That's a commandment. So we have this idea that, no, we're, we're good. We're doing that. And the issue is what we've determined as a whole is that I will fulfill the commandments I want to do. Well, that puts you as Lord and not Jesus. And this is where you find out some people never made Jesus Lord. And you can tell that he's Lord because he keeps their commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. <laughs> <laughs> he said, so hating awkward silences is a sign of immaturity. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say that ab absolute, but there's something there. <laughs> there's something there. He says, my son, observe the commandment of your father. And, and watch this. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. I'm going to come back to these verses. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. So the commandments that we follow properly, the commandments that we follow properly will guide us. How many people want more guiding from the Lord in your life? If you want more guiding, then you need to handle his commandments properly. We're going to look at what's proper handling in just a second. How many, how many people want the Lord and God's protection to watch over you? If you want him to watch over you, then we have to handle his commandments properly. How many, how many people want the commandments of God to talk to me, show me the truth, show me that wisdom? Then we have to uh, abide by his commandments. 
to abide by his commandments properly and to have them guide us, watch over us, and talk to us, we have to observe the commandments. We have to bind them, verse 21, bind them continually on our heart. In other words, I am constantly taking his commandments and I'm reviewing them, I'm meditating them, I'm keeping them in my core. I'm keeping the commandments of God in my core. If I don't do a commandment, the core of who I am should show me that pretty quickly. Uh, The other thing is tie them around your neck. In other words, you want to, he's not necessarily saying we have to walk Walk around with our, you know, our Bible necklace, you know, hanging like, oh, hold on, let me see what God said. You know, um, he's not talking about that. He's saying that you constantly have his commandments with us. In the New Testament, it says it like this. His commandments will be constantly written on our heart by the Holy Ghost. In other words, I should be meditating on them day and night. I should be, I should be thinking on his commandments. Many times when I get uh, revelation about something, it's because I'll take a scripture, I'm reading it, I'm meditating over it for days and weeks and months, and then one day while I'm meditating on it, uh, all of a sudden that commandment talks to me. It, it comes out and I see it, and I'm like, oh, that's what that means, and it, and it un, unfolds in front of my eyes. It, and then that revelation guides me. That revelation keeps me. That revelation watches over me. But I've got to do those commandments, whether I want to do them or not. You know, how many of us in our flesh, in our flesh, want to forgive when we should forgive? Our flesh doesn't want to forgive, but it doesn't matter what our flesh wants to do. I'm going to observe the commandments. Verse 23. Now we're getting into this way of life. For the commandment, hear this, is a lamp and the teaching is light. The commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs or corrections are for discipline, are the way of life. So the way of life here is following the commandments, listening to the teaching, and giving ourselves to correction or reproof. We have have that graphic. The way of life, commandments, teaching, and reproofs, which is correction and discipline. This is the way of life. This is the way of life. Commandments, teaching, and reproof. And look at what he says. The commandment will be a lamp. In other words, it shines light over the whole area. We can see our situation more clearly. The commandments is a lamp. Teaching is the light. We can see it directly. Teaching will bring out the revelation that we need right in that moment that we need it. As we give ourselves to anointed teaching, like you are right now today, you give yourself to that teaching. Light will come on what you need to do. You give yourself to the commandments of God. It'll illuminate the area. It'll be a lamp to the area. And the reproofs, the discipline, are the way of life. In other words, the commandments, the teaching, and listening to correction will show you the way of life. It'll show you how to move into the fullness of life, the fullness of God's life. So when I started out yesterday and today saying, we need to get used, we need to get used to giving ourselves to discipline. I'm not just trying to make it hard for your flesh. 
I'm seeking to lead you into the way of life, the way of God's life, not just the life I would define. This is how God defines it, the Zoe life of God, where you have overflow in every area of life. You have overflow in protection, overflow in restoration, overflow in finances, overflow in health, overflow in your fellowship with God. You have every area of the salvation of God is overflowing with life. How do we walk in those things and see those things? We sow the commandments, the teaching, and we sow the reproof or the discipline or correction. And then we will walk in that way of life. Then he goes on, verse 24. He says, this way, watch this, this way, the commandments, the teaching, and the reproofs, this way will keep you, or the way of life, the way of life, See, the verse doesn't, there's not a period at the end of verse 23. The way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Now, I I want you to understand we're not just talking about sexual immorality here, although that is definitely what it's talking about as well. He's saying that in life there will be seductions. There will be evil ways and seductions that will pull you off. For some, that can be the opposite sex. For others, that can be making tons of money. There's seducing ways of a corrupted world. And he says, how will you stay away from those seducing ways and not fall into that pit? By following the way of life, keeping his commandments, keeping his teaching and giving, yielding yourself to teach. See, a lot of people are like, well, when God teaches me something, I'll follow it. But they're not after teaching. They're not watching videos like this yet. And, and, they're, and God's saying, I want you to get under an anointed teacher, an anointed teaching, so that I can unfold this teaching. I want you to study in here, and I will teach you by the Holy Spirit. Both of these ways are God. Both of them are good. But a lot of times people, are they're not in their Bible. They're not listening to teaching like this. They're not going after the things of God. And so they're not walking in the way of life. And then a seduction comes up, and all of a sudden they fall for it. And God, how did I get into this place? Because you didn't follow this way of life. He says, but when you follow that way of life, it will keep you from the evil woman and the smooth tongue of the adulteress. I wrote this, the way of life keeps you from those seducing spirits. You don't want to fall prey to that, and the way to do it is simple. Just walk out the way of life. Keep his commandments. Get into his teaching. Let his teaching be in you, on you, around you, and through you. And then make sure that you're given to correction and redirection and discipline of God. I want you to see this, too, in verse 24. Notice that the adulteress doesn't have a harsh tongue. At the beginning, in its beginning stages, it's always smooth talk. Man, does it sound good. You know, man, does this job sound good that you'll make umpteen million dollars. You'll just have to give up your family time. You'll have to give up church time for it. You'll have to do that. But it sounds so good on the front side. You know, they won't even talk to you about what you have to give up. You'll have to figure that out on your own. They'll just talk to you about the good stuff. The grass is greener. Uh, The seducing spirits have a smooth tongue. Be mindful of that. 
You never want to see that. That's why one of the things that, that this is a great point. One of the reasons why I don't like selling or marketing a church. I am totally against that. It's not that I do like communicating about a good, a good deal and communicating about that, but I don't want to be a smooth salesperson on our church and on that. And you'll find that a, that a smooth seducing spirit will bring you into all the good things, but they won't stand there at the first day that you ever visit their church and say, you know what, some people don't like us at all. They'll never, they'll never say that, uh, that they'll never come out the first day you come to church and say, you might not like us. We'll help you find one that you like, but we're here for people that are going after God, that are not being held back, and that want to go after more of God, what they see in the Word, and it's going to challenge you. You're not going to find most people doing that. Why? Because they're trying to sell and market the church in in the American church today. You have to watch that. There's a there's a lot of times, and I'm not joking, a lot of times there are spirits behind that type of speech. You want somebody that says, look, your flesh is going to be challenged here because that's the truth. I'm not trying to hide it. That goes back to what we were saying before that they, they do things in secret. No, you want somebody who's going to lay it out. You know, I was in a very important meeting the other day. Some people like Pentecost. Uh, Pentecostals, some people do not. Some people are very, uh, very standoffish of that. I'm talking about the church. I'm in a very important meeting, and I know that you know some people could like it, some people might not. And, the, and I say, look, we're Pentecostal. You know, I'm not trying to hide that. That's who we are. I don't want you to be deceived on that. And if you don't like it, I can't help that. That's not that's not my my deal. You have to figure that part out. But that's who we are. Right? I'm not trying to hide that. So, and, and I would say for years as a pastor, I tried to do that. I tried to be like, yeah, come on, y'all think you'll like the church. And I wouldn't tell them that we speak in tongues and do, do that kind of stuff. Then they get here and they would think that they were going to a regular, regular church, a denominational type church without any Pentecostal you know, threads in it. And then they get there and they're eyes wide open. And that's why I tell people right up front, we are not your everyday church. All right, now look at this, verse 25, talking about the evil woman and the adulteress. And remember, yes, we're talking about the opposite sex, but we're also talking about the seduction of a corruption, seduction of corruption in the world. It says, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her let her capture you with her eyelids. Don't let her blink and get your attention. <laughs> and don't you know that there are things that do that? Have you ever, um, there's a couple of movies that come to me. I don't know that I would recommend any e- either one of these movies for you to watch. One specifically I wouldn't watch. Um, but one had Tom Cruise in it. And one had uh, Keanu Reeves, and Keanu Reeves, and one, one was called The Firm, which was a book I think uh, Crenshaw maybe. Anyway, wrote multiple books about lawyers, and The Firm was actually a movie, and he got this big, this big deal to go work for this really nice firm. Man, they they uh, lavished. A lifestyle on him, and it looked so good, and he it looked so awesome, and 
Uh, they said, you'll have this money, and they gave him a card. John Grisham, thank you. And uh, I, was, I wasn't thinking, remembering that correctly. And uh, here he was, and all of a sudden, great story, very interesting story. I like the movie. I like the book. I read the book as well. And um, years and years ago, but he gets there, and he finds out that it was wicked at its core. It was wicked. In other words, they didn't, they didn't show that side. That side was hidden. And many times there's jobs and bosses and companies. That's what they're after. They're just after their own well-being. They're not after yours. But you help them get to their own good, their own things that they call good, and they paint the, the picture. You know, they blink with big eyes and try to attract you in that way. The, uh, that's the other one. Thank you. Kevin knew what I was talking about. The devil's advocate. Is that the one with Keanu where he, uh, I think it's Al Pacino? So this guy, he goes in. Don't, don't watch that one. Um, this guy goes in into a business, and he finds out, and it's all this attraction, but it cost him everything. It cost him everything. He doesn't realize he's actually dealing, I believe, with the demon or with the devil himself. But the guy is wicked. And uh, but he he was seduced into those positions. In both of those, the characters were seduced into that position. Be mindful that a seducing spirit is not going to come showing you the payment and the wages of sin is death. They're not going to remind you of that. They're not going to come in and show you those wages, those death wages that follow, they're just going to blink at you and they're going to speak with you with smooth tongues. You have to be mindful of that. And what will help you avoid that? The way of life, following the commandments, the teaching, and the correction of God. Don't desire her beauty in your heart. Don't, don't desire that in your heart. Don't, don't um, matter of fact, there's a story I think that Brother Hagen talks about where there was a, um, a pastor's wife that had potential in the world, and that that pastor's wife always thought and thought, you know, if I wouldn't have been a pastor's wife, I could have been something. In her heart, she started desiring that, and that led to her ultimate downfall, and she might have even lost her uh, salvation. I don't remember if that was the one or not, but she always thought about that, and in her heart, she desired that. So that's what we have to watch out. Don't desire the beauty of the seduction of the world in your heart. As soon as you find your thoughts moving towards that, deal with them. Take that thought captive. You know, confess. You know, I hate sin. I love righteousness. Lord, I love what you tell me to do. I love your commandments. I love, I love what you write on my heart. That's what I want to do. I don't want the seduction of a corrupted world to come in. This is how you overcome that. Verse 26, for on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. In other words, this is where you end up. Your life will not be worth more than a loaf of bread. And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Hear that. That wickedness hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes in to his neighbor's wife who touches her will not go unpunished. In other words, he says, you deal with this. And of course, this is directly talking about adultery. It's directly talking about 
uh, sexual sin, but you can apply this as well to the seducing spirits of the world. He said, when you play around with this, you can't play around with this and not be affected. And so some people are like, well, I'll just, you know, think on this for a while. Go back to where it says, don't desire her beauty in your heart. I'll just think about maybe taking that job. I'll just think about doing this for a little. No, you are playing with fire. It will burn you, right? And this is how many people do fall into adultery is they see something and they start thinking on it. And before you know it, they're acting out what they thought on because that thought has become their reality. And you're like, how did they get to this place? They didn't take that thought captive when that seduction first came in as an idea. This is how it happens. We have to deal with it. You can't play with this and not get burned. If you play with it and you don't deal with it, I'm not saying that you're wicked because the temptation comes. The temptation will come, but it will come less the more that you follow the way of life. The more that you follow the commands and the teaching of God and the correction of God, you'll be tempted less and less and less. But that doesn't mean that you won't be tempted at all. Anybody who tells you that is lying to you. As long as we're in a corrupted world and we still have uh, an uh, unglorified body, you will have temptations that come. The temptation coming doesn't make you wicked. The temptation coming doesn't mean that you're going to be burned. What you do with that temptation, how you meditate on that temptation, that's what determines that. You don't want to play around with it. Recognize it when it comes. Deal with it then. I'll tell you this, and I found this in my own life, and I've done it wrong before, not just in this area, but this is what I want you to see. With any sin, with any sin, not just this, with any sin, if you think on it then you and you yield to it in your thoughts, you start setting up a stronghold. And that becomes easier and easier to think on it. And the more you think on it, the easier it is to go to the next depth of it, not up, but down, the next depth of that sin. And then it's easier to go to the next because each one is just a small step. Now, I want you to think on this. When I first started thinking on it, how easy was it to turn that around and just say, no, I'm not thinking on that? But after I've gone down several steps of sin and I'm meditating at the wrong level, do you, do you know how much stronger that pull of temptation gets? Do you know how much harder it is to have the diligence and the discipline to turn the ship of your thinking back wholly and get it back above, uh, above ground? And that's much harder. It's much harder. And that's where people fall because they get down there and it's so strong and they're not strong enough to turn it around. The easier thing is just deal with it when it comes in and don't play with it. Verse 30, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. In other words, don't despise them. That doesn't mean it's not wrong, but understand, he's saying, look, see the mercy of God. This man was hungry, right? Don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy uh, himself when he's hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He's saying, what he's saying is, guard your heart. Don't just let your heart run off and, I can't believe he stole from me. I hate you, you that stole. No, you need to forgive that person. You don't despise that person. But at the same time, there's something due from that thief when he's caught. Well, this is the same thing with the, I'll hold this against the devil. 
If the devil comes in and he steals my, tries to steal my peace or, or steals you know, my comfort in some way, man, I'll hold this verse against him. I found you out. I know who did this. This wasn't the Lord who stole my health. This wasn't the Lord. This was the devil. Now, you must repay this. You must repay it sevenfold. So if I see something that costs me money or time, I start believing God for a sevenfold return on that according to the scriptural principle. Watch this. And if that thief is found, he must give all the substance of his house. So what that means is, let's say the thief had $700. Uh, say, say $700 is all he had in his bank account. And he came to my house and he stole, and he stole $100. When he's found out, if taken to court, he should have to give that $100. He should have to give all $700 that he has because he has to repay sevenfold. That's a commandment of God. And he has to, even if it, if it cost him his house. In other words, what he's saying is this thief should be relying on God, not relying on thievery in the first place. But if somebody is deceived to that place and they're hungry and they're trying to feed their family, don't despise them. But he still has to pay this. Even in this world, this has to be paid. So he's given us some wisdom on laws and how to treat people when they do us wrong and how not to get our heart bent because somebody needed something or somebody was deceived. We don't get our heart bent and unbiased because of it. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. <laughs> but he says, don't be stupid. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. <laughs> He's, the, God is saying, that ain't smart. <laughs> That's not smart. He says, he, listen to this, this is part of the reason why he's lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. The person, the person that would give in to adultery has already determined, I'm, I'm willing to destroy myself to do this. In other words, this is the step that you're taking. When you give yourself to seduction and to that adulterous uh, relationship, you give yourself to seducing spirits, you're already yielding to a destruction of your life. Now, I want to tell you, I've seen this play out in adultery. I've also seen this play out where people have been seduced like by a job and they go take a job and they move everything. They destroy life as they know it, pick up, move their whole family, go take a job and everything falls apart. I've seen that happen. They, and they're they're actually deceiving themselves. Don't be moved by seducing spirits. That's why it's so important in what we think we've heard from the Lord. Get confirmation before you, before you set your mind on it. Get confirmation. Verse 33. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. So he's talking specifically about adultery here. He's saying, look, he said that jealousy is going to be in that, that other husband or that other spouse. And, and when somebody's in that way, they don't think about sparing you pain. They go all out to the destruction of your life. Verse 35, he will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied though you give many gifts. In other words, you will not be able to reverse this. It would take a very special person that this would not be the case, case with of forgiveness. He's, say, he's saying, 
that even though you present this spouse that you've wronged with many, many gifts, they won't forgive you in that way. So now, what does that all tell us, though? This is all correction and wisdom from the Lord, and we can learn things by it here in Proverbs chapter 6. But what we want to do is just stay away from that uh, completely. How do we do that, and what's the result of it? We follow the way of life. We hear the commandments of God. We bind them to our heart. We wear them around our neck. We, we give ourselves to the teaching of the Lord and the correction of the Lord. And that way of life will keep us from all of that garbage. But we must be diligent and disciplined to do those things. And so God wants us blessed. He wants us in overflow. And as we follow the way of life, we'll escape all of that. We don't have to go through any of that garbage. But we need to be wise enough to discern it. We need to be wise enough to see it when it's coming and not be fooled by the seduction of it. And we do that by staying in God's word, knowing his commandments, keeping his commandments, getting under the anointed teaching of God, letting that teaching change and transform us, and letting his correction hit bottom with us so that we actually make a correction. We don't just amen it. We need to get to the place where we really see that correction. As we do that, man, life just goes up. It just goes up. It just goes up. And that's what God wants for you. So I hope that this study in Proverbs 6 will be good. We'll be having uh, Proverbs chapter 7 very soon. You can look for that video and you can go back and watch uh, part 1 of chapter 6 or any one of chapter 1 through 5. But finish this. We need the wisdom of God in our lives. If you've enjoyed it, like, the, like it, share it, uh, hit the notification bell, and uh, we just thank God that you're here. Thank you for going after the Lord and being the light in your community just like we all need to be. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. I always love it when somebody is serving God because the kingdom of God is advancing and we're on the same We're helping out in the same area, and I appreciate you holding up your end of the field while I hold up mine, and when you go after God and follow that way of life, that's exactly what's happening. We love you so very much. If you would like to sow today, you don't have to give anything. If the Lord writes that on your heart, you are welcome to, and uh, you can go to giveww.org. I'm going to let Buddy handle the rest of that and say goodbye, and I'll talk to you later. I'll see you later. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey guys, if you want to sow today, you can go to giveww.org, and uh, there you have, we have all our different ways to give. You can give uh, online with a card. You can, uh, you have, we have our Cash App, Venmo, um, text to give, PayPal. You can actually give cryptocurrency uh, or NFTs. You can give one-time, give recurring. But we want to make that available to you, not really so that we can receive as much as it is because we know that there's a blessing that comes your way as you give yourself to God's system because that's what he says give and it'll be given to you and we want to give you an opportunity to be blessed uh, by by sowing a seed to get the gospel out because when you seek first that kingdom and his righteousness all these things will be added unto you so I'm going to pray over these seeds and we're going to believe for God's word to manifest in your life amen Well, Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, your word is true. Thank you, Lord, that your word is mighty and it is awesome. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare every seed sown today blessed. 
pressed down, shaken together, running over. May men give into their laps. And we thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, that this is our year of multiplied increase, and we receive it. And Father, thank you for the wisdom that you've given us through your word. God, we receive it today, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. It's been a good one. This has been a good one. Uh, If you've enjoyed it, put some fire in the comments. And we want to encourage you also, thank you for putting that lower third up, because I almost forgot. Spread the word. Share the broadcast. If this blessed you, uh, share it with somebody uh, that you know it'll be a blessing to. But guys, we love you, and we'll see you tomorrow at 1130 for Lunch Plus. Have a great rest of your Thursday.